Good morning. Pleasure to be here this morning. Uh, pleasure to share with you. Uh, we thank the, the worship team for just bringing us into an attitude of worship, an attitude of thanksgiving, and a great introduction to my message this morning regarding Melchizedek, uh, king and priest. We'll, we'll look at this, this character. He is certainly mysterious. Um, it is the last one in our character series. And we've gone through several months of looking at just a whole long list of different characters which we've enjoyed immensely. This is the last one. Um, maybe we save the best for last. I don't know. We'll find out. Um, but next week we'll, we'll enter into a new series. The story of Melchizedek. The story appears in Genesis chapter 14 and is also referenced in um, the Psalm 104 and in Hebrews 5 to 6. Uh, I'll just read for you this short account. of Melchizedek in Genesis chapter 14. This is the only place that Melchizedek appears in the Bible and tells his story. So we'll start Genesis chapter 14, if you have that open in your Bible or your gadget or your tablet or your phone or whatever you may have. We'll start there. So reading from Genesis 14. After his return... From the defeat of Chedorlaomer and the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom went out to meet him in the valley of Shaven, that is the king's valley. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out from bread and wine. He was a priest of the God Most High. And he blessed them and said, Blessed be Abram. By God Most High, Creator of heaven and earth. And He blessed God Most High and has delivered your enemies into your hands. And Abram gave him a tenth of everything. And the king said to Sodom, and the king of Sodom said to Abram, Give me the people and keep the goods for yourself. Just to get a perspective of what was happening here, Abram had understood that King Chedorlaomer and several kings from the north had come down to the south and had kidnapped his nephew Lot and his family and possessions and taken them up north of Damascus. And so when Abram heard of this, he gathered together 318 of his best soldiers and went from his home in Hebron and went up north of Damascus to recover them. Now, if Abram was from Timmins, he would have had to travel down to Earlton, down Highway 11. Now, He didn't have an SUV, he didn't have anything like that. So along he goes in this long trek to capture and recover Lot and the nephews. 
and he brings them back. And as he's bringing them back, he passes by this place near Jerusalem. That little red bubble indicates the valley of Shaven or the King's Valley where Melchizedek would have come out to meet him. And that's where they have this meeting that we're going to discuss today. Several years ago, quite a few years ago, almost 15, Sharon and I were living in Alaska. And while we lived there, we did a study with the College and Careers Group, the church that we attended. And the topic that we were studying was based on a popular book called The Purpose Driven Church. Now, no fear, I'm not going to preach on the Purpose Driven Church this morning. But, and most of it, I don't recall. Maybe 95% of it has slipped my mind. I'd have to go back in the book because 15 years is a long time. So, but one thing I do recall that stuck with me, and perhaps it was only the opening sentence or two. And it said something like this. I'm not actually quoting, but the idea is, it's not about me. It's all about Jesus. All about Jesus. This statement is both simple and profound, and it's one that's impacted me over the years. The world does not revolve around Bruce. Never has, and thankfully never will. But the, the world does revolve around Jesus. We have the character of Melchizedek before us today. And we may ponder this mysterious meeting, this mysterious character. Is that also all about Jesus? Let's find out. The question and identity of this character is a fascinating study. And one that's been around for a long time it continues to be a great topic of debate. To add to the character, I'm going to read from Hebrews chapter 3, verses 1 to 3. This Melchizedek was king of Salem, the priest of God Most High. He met Abraham returning from defeat of the kings and blessed him. And Abraham gave him a tenth of everything, which we've heard. First, his name means king of righteousness. Then also king of Salem, which means king of peace. Now, verse 3, concerning Melchizedek. Without father or mother, without genealogy, without beginning of days or end of life, like the Son of God, he remains a priest forever. And so... The identity and the character of Melchizedek just becomes somewhat more mysterious with that statement. I've read that several times in Hebrews and I thought, who is Melchizedek and what is he about? Well, in answering partially that question and not giving you the answer, but the options and the opinions that are out there. Who is Melchizedek? Well... One opinion and one piece of information is he was a respected king of the region and Abram 
was simply showing him the respect he deserved. Also, the name Melchizedek may have been a standing name for the king of Salem. Salem was the ancient city of Jerusalem. So it may have been like Caesar or a title. It may have been. Now for more of the topics of debate. Melchizedek was a type of Christ. As Hebrews 7.3, we've just read that he had no genealogy. He had no father, no mother, no beginning of days or end. He was like the Son of God. A type in the Old Testament or a teaching that is so closely related to what Christ did, it illustrates a lesson about Jesus. Or we could consider Melchizedek was an appearance on earth of a pre-incarnate Christ in a temporary bodily form. And so, these are the things that the people who have far, far, far more education and training and experience debate. And they talk about these things. And they come from schools of thought and schools of position. And so, in, in way of context, we'll introduce Melchizedek as this character. The book of Hebrews, chapters 5 to 7, picks up the character of Melchizedek and expands on it and further develops. It's a fascinating read. To have time today or sometime during the week, chapters 5 to 7 through Hebrews is so interesting. The question for me that is significant is, and a question for you today, because it's a question for me, is what is the story of Melchizedek teaching? To me and to you personally in our walk with Jesus. What is it teaching us about that? And more importantly, what is Melchizedek teaching me about Jesus? Remember the perfect, the purpose-driven church. It's not about me. It's about who? Jesus. Yeah. Undeniably, there are many types and parallels of the character of Melchizedek and the person of Jesus. Undeniably. For example, Melchizedek was a king. And Jesus was a king. A king who behaved in very non-traditional and unexpected ways. Melchizedek made the first move, going out into the valley to meet Abram and to offer him a blessing. His interest was in God and people, but not in possessions and money. We read in verse 21 that he went out and he asked for the people. But he said, you keep the possessions. I don't want those things. And so his interest was keenly on God and on the people of God. He was also a priest. But it's interesting, Melchizedek was a priest. But the priesthood of Melchizedek existed long before the Levitical priesthood had even been thought about. Centuries before. Yet he was a priest of God. 
Melchizedek includes bread and wine in the blessing of Abraham and the praising of God. We've just celebrated communion. In the midst of communion, we have bread and wine as a picture of the body and blood of Jesus Christ. What does Melchizedek bring out to bless God with? Bread and wine. He honors God Most High and recognizes Him as a supreme creator and gives Him the victory. He reminds Abram, you didn't win that victory with your 318 trained men. It was God's victory. And then we go on to Hebrews chapter 7, verses 1 to 3, particularly verses 3, that talks about the mysterious nature of Melchizedek. Many, many types, many parallels with Jesus and Melchizedek. But what are we to do with that? 21st century North America. Here we are. And that is the often the place that we arrive at when we read Old Testament accounts in our Bibles, and a memorable story that existed 4,000 years ago. What are we to do with that today? How are we to use that in our walk today? What is God saying to me and saying to you? It's interesting in the same book that gave us the expanded character study of Melchizedek in Hebrews 5-7, to in chapter 4, we have verse 12. And verse 12 says this, For the Word of God is living and active. It's sharp as any double-edged sword. It penetrates even dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Yes, I know, Lord, that you do speak to me. And I know the Word of God is not just dry words on the page of the Bible. The Word of God is living and active. And it's speaking to us as we recount and look at the words. Even something that originated 4,000 years ago is speaking to us today. It judges the thoughts and our attitudes. Speaking, convicting, comforting and also revealing the person of Jesus Christ. Lord, our prayer this morning is to help us to listen and to hear and to comprehend your word spoken to us. One of the first things I notice about the story of Melchizedek is this. It's a mystery. It's a mystery. Not fully developed. Like many parables that the disciples struggled with, they wanted to know, tell us now. You told us a story. Tell us now. What does that mean? Melchizedek appears quickly in an unrelated manner to the text that was going on of Abram going to rescue Lot and bringing him back home. Melchizedek appears in there and then disappears from the stories of the Bible, from the account of returning Abram from, from his battle. God does not always consider it necessary to provide us with the full story. Explain the details or illustrate the reference. No, often a fragment is given. And we are left to search the scriptures ourselves, to seek God for answers. 
that are meant for us. That is the mystery of John 17, verse 3. And hold that thought for a moment. I appreciate this. I appreciate the mystery, the, the fragment that's given, and the trail God puts in front of you and says, if you want to know more about it, search the Scriptures and find out. I'll reveal that to you. Some may be annoyed or frustrated by the lack of information or the clarity, thinking or demanding, I want to know, and I want to know now. Oh Lord, just don't tell me a little story and leave me hanging. But that is what God does at times. Not intentionally or being elusive or exclusive or thinking knowledge is power and I know everything, I'm going to keep it from you. Or even being mean in some ways. No. But more so intentional. In developing within within us a desire and a hunger to know God. To know more. To search. To be diligent. To look. To rest. And to go back. And continue searching. John 17, verse 3. Now, this is eternal life. That we may know the only true God and Christ whom you have sent. This is eternal life. This is what eternal life is about. That you might know Jesus, that you might experience Him, that you might have relation with Him, that you might have a fullness in Christ that you've trusted Him and He's proven Himself and you've trusted Him again and He's revealed more of Himself and He's shown you weakness and you've responded to that weakness with faith and with obedience. We might know who Jesus Christ is. That is eternal life. Not putting a one and then putting an inordinate amount of zeros behind it and saying, that's how long I'm going to be in heaven. Eternal life has started here. Here and now. We are experiencing eternal life. Because we are experiencing getting to know our Lord and Savior Jesus. We are on that trail. We are on that journey. And God invites us into a deeper side of that. And so, a key thought from Melchizedek thus far is this. The mystery of Melchizedek drives us deeper into the Scriptures that reveals more of Jesus. The more we look, the more we find and understand more of Jesus. Melchizedek was a king. And as a king, he had a kingdom. His was a, he was a king of the ruling authority of Jerusalem, or of Salem. Although Melchizedek was a king, he does not appear to be this demanding, or this aloof, or this distant sort of king that lorded over all of his peasants, and sat in his throne, and this sort of did that. No. Quite the opposite, actually. 
He seems to be desirous to be among his people. He, in fact, was the one who engaged and initiated going out into the valley to contact Abram. And he contacted him in a way that he demonstrated friendly relations. Coming out to meet Abraham in a most unusual manner. Inviting Abraham into his kingdom or into his domain. Demonstrating to Abraham the type of kingdom that Melchizedek represented. It was a kingdom of being peaceful. It was a kingdom that was generous, God-fearing, respectful of God, and a giver of blessings. The kingdom of Melchizedek is much like the kingdom of God. It foreshadows the kingdom of God. Jesus speaks in the New Testament and he says, the kingdom of God is like this. If you want to understand the character and the type of kingdom, it's like this. And he gives us pictures. Matthew chapter 5, verse 7, the Beatitudes, says, the characters of the kingdom of God are like this. In summary, the kingdom of God, the characters of the kingdom of God are those who belong to the kingdom that have a heart that is committed to the values that are important to God. They are humble, and they're meek, and they're peaceful, and they're merciful, and they're righteous, and they're pure. They emulate the Beatitudes of Matthew 5-7, to which is the transforming work of the Holy Spirit upon their lives. And so, the kingdom of God is an outward expression of the person of Jesus, the character of Jesus. The kingdom of Melchizedek, of what he was demonstrating to Abram, was a parallel of that. The generosity, the peaceful heart, the blessing, the God-fearing, the God-respecting. His nature started to demonstrate and started to look forward to a kingdom that would come. He wasn't asking for himself, but he was giving of himself. Not at all what you'd expect from a king. Not the kind of attitude and the kind of things they demonstrated. The kingdom of Melchizedek gives us a glimpse of the ultimate kingdom of God that Jesus came to establish. Melchizedek is helping us understand the kingdom of God is relational and spiritual between ourselves and God toward others. Melchizedek was also a priest. And this is kind of sort of the meaty part of it. He was a priest, and therefore he had a priesthood after the order of Melchizedek. We read this in Hebrews 6, Verse 19 to 20. We have this hope as an anchor for our soul. Firm and secure, it enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain, where Jesus, who went before us, has entered on our behalf. He has become a high priest in the order of Melchizedek. Hebrews 16, or 19 to 20, makes the connection between the priesthood of Melchizedek and Jesus 
as our heavenly high priest. Jesus as our heavenly high priest is a role that he didn't perfectly fulfill until after he was born, after he suffered, after he died, and was resurrected from the dead. We read this in Hebrews 5, 7-10. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayer and petitions with loud cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his relevant submission. Although he was a son, he learned obedience from what he suffered and was made perfect. And he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him and was designated by God to be a high priest in the order of Melchizedek. The last three hymns that we sang, the the hymn, the theme of that is on these verses here. That Jesus learned obedience from what he suffered, was made perfect, and became the source of eternal salvation for him, for all who would believe, and became a high priest in the order of Melchizedek. So we see that Jesus, during his earthly ministry, did not take upon himself the glory of the high priest. We see that. He was a suffering servant. He wasn't regarded as the high priest. In the order of Melchizedek, we see Jesus is designated, but not in the order of Aaron, not in the Levitical priesthood. Furthermore, God's law specified that only those born of the tribe of Levi could serve as priests in Numbers 8. Of those Levites, only those who were the descendants of Aaron were eligible to become the high priest. Jesus, however, came from Judah, a tribe which the scripture says has nothing to do with the priesthood. He was of whom these things are said belonged to a different tribe, and no one from that tribe has ever served at the altar, for it's clear that our Lord descended from Judah. And in regard to that tribe, Moses said nothing about priests. He was not eligible to be a priest. So how then could he legally serve in capacity after his resurrection? And the answer to that is the order of Melchizedek. God intended in advance that the Old Testament Levitical priesthood lasted only for a short period of time. We read that in, in Hebrews 7, 11 to 12, and seven eighteen to nineteen, and then be replaced. Therefore, the biblical appearance of Melchizedek in, in Genesis, which occurred many many decades before Levi, Abraham's great grandson, and more than three hundred years prior to Israel's receiving the law in the Levitical priesthood, was very significant. Why is that? Because the existence of the order of Melchizedek prior to giving the law meant the order of Melchizedek would not be bound by the rules regarding the priesthood of Aaron. This made it possible for Jesus to serve after his resurrection as high priest in the order of Melchizedek. The writer of Hebrews delineates some of the profound ways 
that the priesthood of Melchizedek is superior to what the Levitical priesthood was. He says in Hebrews 7, he said, it's a royal, not a Bruce royal, a royal priesthood. A priesthood of God Most High. In verse 11, he said, this priesthood is perfect. In 24, chapter 7, he says, it's changeless. In verse 3, he says, it's composed of one individual who always existed. And in verse 8, 16, and 24, he says, and it always will. And also, instead of intercession being accomplished periodically by a Levitical priest within an earthly temple, we read about in Hebrews 9, it's performed constantly. And we sang this. This came out in one of the songs that we sang, that he stands continually in the throne offering intercession for us. It's mediated in the order of Melchizedek is much better. With better promises is what is offered under the Old Covenant. In closing, I'd like to look at one final verse. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a people called belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. We, according to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, we are priests of God. And we are priests of God in the linkage through Jesus in the order of Melchizedek. We are not Levitical priests, but we are priests of God through that priesthood. And what is the duty of a priest of God? According to this verse, to show and declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. What did the priests do? They offered intercession for the people. They were the people who would bring the common people to God. They would offer sacrifices for them, but they would also offer to them teaching and advice and the bridge from the people through them to God. And so we are priests ourselves. What is our role? as a testimony of Jesus, to make Jesus attractive to other people, to be the bridge between people who don't know Jesus and people who do. We can be that priest. We can offer ourselves in that. The priesthood of Melchizedek is a mystery. Have we solved the mystery this morning in our, in our 30 minutes? No. We have barely, barely scratched the surface of what we could unravel of the priesthood of Melchizedek. But not surprisingly, what we've done has brought us closer to Jesus and realizing that through the Scriptures, 
there are these little nuggets that come out and you read it and you think, what is that about? What is that about? But all that does is prompt us to go back and read it again and perhaps read it prayerfully. And the Spirit of God takes us on a journey. And that journey goes through some very interesting places. We meet some very interesting characters. But at the end of the journey and through the journey, we always, always encounter Jesus, the author of our faith. Let's close in prayer and we'll just ask the worship team. Are you coming up for one more? Great. Father in heaven, we, we do thank you for what you revealed to us. We thank you for the Spirit of God that, that is within us and speaks to us and just gives us the insights and the desire to know more of you. Help us, Lord, today take whatever pieces of this, this discussion, this message that, that you've given to us. Help us to take the parts that have resonated with us and draw us closer to you as a result. We just praise you for that. And we give you thanks in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.